Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect program. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Later, we will conduct a question and answer session, and instructions will follow at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the program, please press star then zero on your touch-tone telephone. As a reminder, this program is being recorded. At this time, I would like to introduce your host for today's program, Dr. Carolyn Mesner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Thank you, Tanisha, and I, too, would like to welcome everyone to today's Cancer Care Connect program, Finding New Ways to Cope with Fatigue, and this is part two, and part two is support for caregiver, balancing your needs and your role as caregiver. It's a very important program we're doing today, and it's one that I know for many people on the call today really will have a lot of good material for you as a caregiver. Today's program is a collaborative effort between a number of different organizations to make today's program possible. The American Society of Clinical Oncology, the Association of Clinicians of the Underserved, the Association of Oncology Social Work, the Intercultural Cancer Council, the Multinational Association of Supportive Care and Cancer, the National Family, Family Caregivers Association, and the Wellness Community. It's that collaboration and partnership that has enabled us to reach so many of you today. So we've all really tried to spread the word together um, and we have on our call today over 528 participants. And you come from all over the United States, from small cities and large cities and rural areas. And we also have some international visitors on our call today from Canada and the UK. So I want to welcome everyone, and we're delighted with your response today. You are clearly a group of information seekers who have chosen to spend the next hour with us. Now, I would like to turn your attention for a moment to the materials that you received from us, and those materials include an outline that our speakers will be um, following, some informational pieces about cancer care and our various services, as well as our partner groups, information about some upcoming telephone education workshops, and also some telephone, online, telephone and online support groups at Cancer Care Office, and there is an evaluation form. And I would ask you to please take a moment at the end of today's program and complete the evaluation form because your feedback is so critical to us in planning future programs. So please tell us what you liked about the program. Please tell us what you'd like us to do differently. Also suggested topics. And also we have added some uh, questions here about whether this has really helped you um, as a caregiver. We'd like you to take a moment to complete that as well. Now I'd like to say that today's um, program has been made possible um, by an educational grant from Orthobiotech Products, LP. Actually, this entire series has been made possible by their support. And I would like to say that um, their support is particularly important around this topic today. I, I want to kind of give them credit for the fact that they have really highlighted the significance of the role of a caregiver, and they have supported a program like this. Also, in your materials, there is a wonderful booklet called Finding New Ways to Cope with Fatigue, which we hope will be a nice resource for you to have when the program ends, the Cancer Care Connect booklet as well. Now, we have just some wonderful faculty on today's program, so I want to introduce to you our first speaker today. Our first speaker is Dominic Bonanno. Dominic is an oncology social worker, and he's program coordinator with Cancer Care. And Dominic is going to provide an overview of caregiving and really going to go over some of the details of caregiving. So I'm going to turn the program over to Dominic. Thank you, Carolyn. Thank you. Well, let's start at the very beginning. Your 78-year-old mother has been having a persistent cough for weeks and a pain in her back. 
you tried cough syrup, Tylenol, but nothing helps. So you take her to the doctor. And before you know it, you're visiting her in the hospital. And the doctor tells you privately that she has lung cancer. How could this have happened to your mother? What do you say and what do you do? There were many challenges ahead for you. Uh, do you tell her right away if the doctor or, or hasn't already? If you do decide to tell your mother, how do you do it? How do you tell your mother that she has lung cancer? So we now have a diagnosis, and a loved one with cancer, a patient. And when there's a loved one with cancer, there's a caregiver, and that's you. You want to do the best for your mother. You want to say all the right things. You want the best hospital for her, the best doctors, the best treatment. And soon you find yourself extremely pressured, agitated, tearful one minute, hopeful the next, scared. But you can't show that to your mother, of course. And finally, just overwhelmed. And yet, you're functioning. You're making all the calls, asking as many questions as you can think of, talking to all the doctors. People tell you you seem so strong. You're the best daughter. You're the best son. You're just the best. And yet, deep inside of yourself, the inside of yourself that no one ever sees, you don't know if you're coming or going. You know you need some kind of help. But what? What kind of help? Sound familiar? You know, when a person is diagnosed with any kind of cancer, everything drastically changes for the loved one with cancer, the patient. Uh, the health, the self-image of the person, the person with cancer looks at himself or herself differently. All the different relationships in one's life changes. Finances, right? difficulty with um, making ends meet. And as a matter of fact, the person's whole way of life has changed. Now, if your loved one's life has changed so much, well, as the caregiver, so has yours. As a matter of fact, life is just not the same anymore for anyone. Cancer doesn't just happen to the person with cancer, to the patient. It is truly a family illness. And We've been saying that here at uh, Cancer Care for over 60 years. Cancer affects the whole family. And this idea that I'm going to be talking about of parallel process, that as the person with cancer, that person's life changes, that you as the caregiver, your life also changes. So it's like sort of like a parallel. Uh, for example, Sometimes your loved one hides his or her feelings, keep, keeps things really deep down, and, you know, you wonder, what's going on inside? What is, you know, my loved one really thinking? Well, you can check your own feelings as a caregiver. If you're feeling sad, anxious, overwhelmed, well, you can bet that your loved one is probably feeling the same way, too. And that's what we mean when we talk about um, this parallel process. So my hope uh, is that our time together today will provide some of the help, 
some of the help. There's a lot going on for all of you out there, but some of the help that you need um, to cope and to face things. My wish, of course, is, the, is that the cancer could be taken away and that you and your loved one did not have to deal with that. But that's, you know, not within my power. So what we will be talking about today are the stresses which occur when an important person in your life is diagnosed with cancer. That's number one. Why it is so important for a caregiver to get support. That's two. And some practical tips, suggestions, and insights. Practical tips, suggestions, and insights on how to care for yourself so that your level of stress can be reduced. Not eliminated. Stress cannot be entirely eliminated. There's so many things that, that, that you really have to face with illness. But certainly we talk about small but significant changes or any kind of stress that reduced, is reduced in any way is a good thing. And also another theme that, that you'll be hearing on the workshop today is the less helpless you feel as a caregiver, the more hopeful you will be. The less helpless, the more hopeful. And an example of that is if you could think back to when your loved one was originally diagnosed and you got this, you know, this news. One of the things you did probably was try to get as much information as possible, ask as many questions of, of, of the healthcare team, you know, you know, contact as many resources, um, websites, you know, make a lot of phone calls to different organizations. Uh, all in a way to, to gather more and more information that would help you to understand what's going on. And I've heard from so many uh, partners and family members, relatives and friends um, that caregiving, you know, can be a full-time job. And in gathering this information as part of this job, uh, the more information that you were gathering, the more you were understanding, you were feeling less helpful, helpless a little less anxious, and more hopeful about what was going to be happening. And this was part of, you know, the, the introduction to sort of this full-time job that so many caregivers describe, gathering of information. There's a lot of information out there. And it takes a lot of time, to, you know, to do caregiving well. So perhaps I want you to think of... Um, this time that we have together as a period to relax, rejuvenate, and receive. Relax, rejuvenate, and receive. And as a way of sort of uh, receiving, I'd like you to think of this time as honoring you and your loved one in this special relationship that you have together. Um, really honoring all that you are to each other and all that you're, you know, that you're doing together. And I'd like to introduce the idea that a caregiver should also be a care receiver, a care receiver. Because, you know, giving and receiving is kind of a, a dual process. And we believe that uh, you need to receive in order to go on giving. You need to receive in order to go on giving. So, I just want you to just be thinking about today and sort of be open to that idea of receiving. And the idea of self-care. That's another thing, care receiving and self-care. 
And this idea of parallel process that I talked about before, it, you know, extends to the idea of caring. If your loved one, the patient, needs to be cared for, then certainly the caregiver and pouring so much time, energy, and love into being as helpful as possible needs also to receive caring from family, friends, coworkers, and the medical team. And also in terms of your relationship with yourself, how you're treating yourself and uh, thinking of yourself. So this idea of self-care and caregiving is, is very, very important. You're taking the time today to participate in the telephone education workshop demonstrates a number of things about being a caregiver. And it goes along with our philosophy of cancer care. You know, we do have a, a very definite philosophy. Uh, we've been doing this for over 60 years. And one piece of the philosophy is we believe you can't do it alone. can't do it alone. In our experience in working with countless family members and, and, and you know, patients, persons with cancer, one of the key ingredients in effective coping is the ability to reach out for information, as we spoke about before, support, and also understanding. Yeah. Reaching out for understanding. How often have you said, nobody really understands what I'm going through? And when somebody says something that, that you know, makes you think, oh, you know, they, they sort of they got it, it really feels good and supportive. It's, it's, it's a lonely experience not to be understood. Second thing is that, you know, we encourage uh, persons with cancer and caregivers to have counseling, be part of groups, attend workshops, and also the, this particular type of workshop, which is a telephone, you know, workshop. And we have a great many services at Cancer Care. There are many ways for you to receive. In our, we're a national organization and actually international because there are some people on the line, as Carolyn had said, from the UK and from Canada. Um, so we have face-to-face -face services in our regional area here in the tri-state area of New York and, um, you know, Long Island, Connecticut, New Jersey. And we have, across the country, all of the national services of telephone uh, uh, groups, support groups, and, of course, the online groups. Many of you have uh, gone to various websites, and um, we have online services. And even people from other countries can participate. So we have many kinds of services uh, to offer. Um, so we encourage you to, to look into these different services and to receive them. We also encourage you to do stress management, which there are courses, there are books, there are articles. And another thing we encourage is if you're inclined, and that is part of your belief system, to, main, to maintain contact with your place of worship your church, your synagogue, your mosque, and remain connected to some kind of community. Again, we, we can't do it alone. Um, now, in some situations, in terms of support, the person with cancer, the patient, may withdraw and not want to reach out um, for various reasons, not feeling well, um, uh, just don't have the energy, or, you know, the the, the person may feel sort of to be ashamed to be in a counseling or group because it's only for, the thought is it's only for weak people or for people who can't handle things. And of course we know that that's not true. People with great strength go into groups to, to you know, to, 
to get more strengths. And, you know, there are ways of encouraging persons with cancer and your loved ones to be in groups and to reach out. But if your loved one chooses not to do this for whatever reason, and there are reasons, it becomes even more important, vital for you to get the help that you need as a caregiver. To quote from a Health Journal article, quote, caregivers who neglect themselves face a spectrum of ills from exhaustion and depression to burnout. You've heard that term before, right, burnout. Burnout occurs when a caregiver slips beyond exhaustion, exhaustion or depression into a state where he or she is beyond caring because caregiving, as we said, is a full-time job. So we, we, we don't want you to be in that place, and that's why we, we have this, this kind of a workshop. We don't want that, that burnout to occur. Of course, it's easier said than done. How do you avoid burnout and, you know, do a lot in terms of self-care, yet remain loyal to your loved one and accomplish everything that needs to be done so that your loved one will get the care he or she deserves? Well, that's the challenge. It is a challenge. But we think that there is a balance, and that's the whole idea of the title, balancing your needs and role as a caregiver. Let's sort of look at the big picture now in terms of coping and, you know, what's, what's really going on. In order to really appreciate how essential it is to take care of yourself, um, let's look at the magnitude of what you're facing. You know, first of all, the life and death issues, you know, that illness raises for people. And there are no easy answers to these, no easy answers. A diagnosis of a life-threatening illness forces the patient and the caregiver to face issues of mortality, right? No one wants cancer, and no one wants cancer, and the loved one and the family members feel out of control. You know, maybe your husband or wife was never sick a day in his or her life. The what-if questions, the tough what-if questions may never have been seriously discussed, and communication now may be very awkward. Few people can easily ask or talk about, why me? And what happens if treatment doesn't work? And this question of, you know, how to have hope. How do you have hope in the midst of so much uncertainty? And we know that we all need hope, some kind of hope, in order to go on. And this concept of helplessness and hopelessness, that you know, persons with cancer and caregivers often feel out of control at the mercy of doctors, hospitals, bureaucracy. Uh, illness makes us feel helpless, leading to this idea of, of hopeless. So the idea if we can reduce some stress, and feel less helpless and take care of ourselves a little bit more, we'll feel more hopeful. And I'm not trying to be a Pollyanna about this. We may not be able to change the big picture. person is diagnosed, may have to go through surgery, may have to go through treatment, and there are certainly fears about all of this. Some people describe describe it as an up-and-down roller coaster ride. However, there may be situations that will allow us to feel more hopeful and take care of ourselves more and reduce our stress. For example, with pain management, you know how disturbing it is for you to see your loved one in pain. And sometimes some patients are reluctant to, you know, take the pain medications. But a lot of times, they, they, many times they do. It's being offered and you can see such a big difference in the quality of a person's life. And it just makes you feel that the person is able to go on and to to walk and to, and to do activities that they couldn't with their pain. So that's a change, and we talk about small but significant change. This makes you feel as if 
something is done to ease the situation and you can feel more hopeful. Um, so our, our lives can be enhanced in small but significant ways, small but significant ways. And remember, if we can give to ourselves and take care of ourselves more as caregivers, we're in a better physical and emotional state to take care of the person who is ill because we have experienced some, even a small degree of rejuvenation, rejuvenated in some way. We're apt to have more patience and feel less resentful of our caregiver roles. The big picture may not have changed, but even small but significant changes can make a difference. And you might want to ask yourself, as caregivers, what are you not doing that you could be doing for yourself? What would you like to be able to do in the midst of all this? And that could include running, you know, being able to run more, do more exercise, being able to listen to more music, to find some quiet time, to go out to a movie, or perhaps even a mini, mini vacation, even if it were a day and a half or two days. What could you be adding on that would help you to take care of yourself? And again, small but significant change. One other thing I want to mention to you in terms of how we see things is to adjust our expectations. And this is a way of kind of managing our stress. For example, we may expect the person who is, has cancer that person should act in a certain way. should be positive, cooperative, grateful. And sometimes that person is. But, but often the person with cancer gets angry and lashes out, you know, sometimes. But I think it helps us to understand that underneath the anger can be sadness, all right? And sometimes it's easier to feel anger than sadness. And anger can be, you know, a, a, a constructive thing. It can, within reasonable limits, you know, help the patient to cope and mobilize resources. So I think one of the ways of kind of looking at this a little bit differently and getting an insight that gives us some way of reducing our stress is that we can look at anger in a different way, that underneath anger is sadness. And an insight also is that the loved one may need permission to express that sadness that goes deeper down. So I know that um, our next speaker has also more ideas and suggestions about, um, you know, self-care and care receiving. And I would just like to end by, by asking you if you can strive to believe that you're doing the best that you can do, because you probably are. Strive to believe that you're doing the best that you can do in this, these circumstances and in, uh, in your caregiving role. And I hope that you can be a care receiver as well as a caregiver. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much, Dominic. That's a very important message to be able to be a care receiver as well as a caregiver. Thank you very much for your whole introduction and just for your whole um, just very sensitive and very caring presentation. Our next speaker is Dr. Guadalupe Palos. Dr. Palos is Instructor, Clinical Research Faculty, Division of Internal Medicine, Department of Symptom Research, UTMD Anderson Cancer Center. And Dr. Palos actually um, has her own almost medical team. She's actually um, an, an oncology nurse, an oncology social worker, and um, also a public health researcher. So I'm really delighted to have Dr. Palos with us today. And she's going to add some additional comments about uh, caregiving. Dr. Palos? Thank you, Carolyn and, and Dominic, both for uh, uh, 
today's uh, support. Excuse me. It's a pleasure to be here with all of you for this very important discussion on support for the caregiver. We heard Dominic give an excellent overview of caregiving and the challenges associated with being a caregiver. He also gave us a good understanding of the impact of cancer on both the person diagnosed with cancer and their caregiver. In the next few moments, what I'd like to do is discuss how the roles and responsibilities of caring for your loved one changes over the course of the cancer experience, and this can be referred to as the cycle of caregiving. We're going to talk a little bit about ways to determine what your needs are as a caregiver as you move through the cycle of caregiving and the various types of support you will need throughout the journey. We're going to reinforce again the importance of self-care and the effects that a caregiver may experience on their own health as a result of caring for a loved one. And then I'm going to close up by describing and reinforcing some practical tips um, that you can use to promote your own self-care. In the Cherokee Nation, there's a tradition that centers around the cycle of seasons. There's a direction, color, and purpose for each season. For example, winter belongs to the north. Its color is blue, and it represents a season of survival and waiting. Spring belongs to the east. It is red, and it is a season of victory or the power of reawakening after a deep sleep or a new life. In many ways, this cycle of seasons can represent the cycle of caregiving. As a caregiver accompanies their loved one through the experience of having cancer, they too find themselves going through seasons. For example, the person newly diagnosed with cancer and just beginning treatment has very different needs than the long-term survivor living with cancer while trying to maintain a normal life, that is being wife, husband, mother, father, working, and going to school. So based on those individual needs, the roles and responsibilities of the caregiver will vary or change throughout the cycle, depending on what point of the journey the cancer patient is at. So it's not surprising that as those roles change, the support that a caregiver needs will also change and vary. For instance, as the caregiver for a patient just beginning treatment, your primary roles may focus on providing transportation to and from the clinic or the hospital, or you may be the recorder or the translator of what's being communicated between the medical team um, during those visits and the patient and you. And then maybe, for example, too, during treatment, a caregiver may find themselves suddenly giving medication, um, keeping logs of when those medications are being given, and even keeping track of the side effects resulting from those medications. So it becomes apparent that a caregiver may need to seek information, advice, and support from different sources as they accompany the patient throughout the cancer journey. These sources may be the healthcare team, perhaps a social worker or a nurse. It may be a friend, a spiritual leader, or a fellow caregiver. Or the person may even need to uh, turn to an organization whose services will meet the needs of the caregiver for that particular season, so to speak, of the cycle. Um, and a good example is what we're doing right now with cancer care. A caregiver can go online or, you, or um, seek information in other ways. Sometimes a caregiver may just need encouragement to take time and focus on themselves. It's amazing how many caregivers I have found feel guilty about taking some time just for themselves, even if it's just going around the corner when they're at the clinic and putting their feet up and, and just taking a deep breath so that way they can get their thoughts together. That time that they're away from the patient, they feel 
anxious and a little bit guilty about being gone. But that's time for self-care. A major goal of any caregiver that is often forgotten is for that caregiver to maintain their own health while going through the cycle so that they and the person they're caring for will reap the benefits of a healthy caregiver. Caregivers, unfortunately, often place their own health and well-being on the back burner. Yet because of their own multiple roles and demands, their own emotional and physical health may suffer. So one of the most important responsibilities of being a caregiver is to include their own self-care as part of their daily schedule. And for those of you caregivers that like to keep a schedule on the refrigerator, this is what you need to do is just put in there time for self. Uh, make yourself a little note. Clip it even for those of you that don't keep the calendar. Clip it in your mirror, your bathroom mirror, your home mirror, but just say time for self. But I'd like to remind you that caregivers caring for themselves is often, again, an overlooked yet very crucial area. Let me share a few facts with you. Studies show that the majority of caregivers spend more than 40 hours per week providing care to a family member or friend. That's on top of the regular responsibilities you have. Studies also report that most caregivers are middle-aged or older and at risk to their own chronic illness and physical limitations and challenges. We have found that more women find themselves being the primary caregiver, but men are increasing in number, and one study even found that children less than 15 years of age are becoming the primary caregivers of their parents. Caregivers may not always live in the same area, the state, or country that their patient lives in, so they become a long-distance caregiver, and that presents a whole set of unique uh, challenges also. So caregiving tasks can range from simple things such as providing company to someone to more burdensome duties such as bathing, toileting, or dressing someone on a daily basis, all of which take quite a bit of physical activity and energy. The combination of these types of activities and demographic um, features that we just talked about have a dramatic effect on the physical and emotional health of a caregiver. In the next few moments, I will talk uh, to you just briefly about the health effects a caregiver may be at risk to and what types of strategies may be helpful in dealing with these um, concerns. Studies have reported that caregivers experience changes in their endocrine, immune, and psychological systems as a result of their caregiving experiences. For example, there can be increases in blood pressure, insulin, or cortisol levels, all measures of stress. The emotional health that caregivers um, have will be affected, and so there also may also be affected. So there may be an increase in feelings such as Dominic mentioned, the, the sadness, the frustration, or other types of mood changes. The combination of these physical and emotional effects may lead to symptoms in the caregiver that are similar to the patient that they're caring for. These symptoms would include things like sleep disturbances, could be insomnia, um, or waking up several times during the night, fatigue, or even changes in appetite. Not surprising, many caregivers report an increase in these types of symptoms during special occasions, such as holidays, anniversaries, and other um, such important activities. They also may report an increase in these types of symptoms during complicated or complex treatment cycles that a patient may be undergoing. 
For example, in a study I'm conducting, we're finding that there are changes in the caregiver's physical and mental health over, say, for example, a long-term cycle of chemotherapy that a patient is getting. We found that, if a care, that a caregiver's own health is affected by the severity or the side effects that the patient is, is experiencing. So a caregiver may have a higher risk to being anxious, to stress, fatigue, and sleep disturbances during times when the symptoms are most intense or unpleasant. And we find that particularly when a patient may be experiencing pain. Unfortunately, we don't have the perfect recipe that caregivers may use for self-care. But we do have suggestions for coping strategies that may be helpful. And Dominic gave a wonderful recipe in, in his own way. I believe it was to uh, relax, rejuvenate, and receive. Um, and that, to me, sounded like a good recipe to, to start dealing with some of these challenges. But there's some other tips that I'd like to share with you. But, you know, I talked just now about some of the negative effects that can happen um, to a caregiver's health. But I want to assure our audience that there are many new studies that are beginning to report that there are mental and physical benefits to being a caregiver. Many caregivers report the presence and influence of positive aspects such as an increase in self-esteem or satisfaction because the caregiver feels they are benefiting from the experience due to their own efforts. Some studies report that caregivers with a higher self-esteem report less depression or sadness, and one caregiver even told us that being a caregiver gives life a positive flavor. Other positive aspects include an increase in uplift events. Uplift events are events that make one feel joyful, glad, or satisfied with what they are doing. Again, studies indicate that when caregivers report a greater number of uplift events, there is less distress and sadness. Some studies show that when caregivers reported better mental health, there were also positive physical health effects. For example, higher levels of emotional support and less psychological stress were found to be linked with higher levels of the immune response. That is, the caregivers that had strong the caregivers ended up having stronger immune systems, better wound healing, lower levels of salivary cortisol, and that's an indicator of stress, and lower blood pressure. Some caregivers report that being a caregiver has enhanced and enriched their lives. And there are many other benefits which some of you may wish to share with us later on in our discussion. There is no doubt that the central nervous system and the immune system are all part of the response to stress, whether it be a temporary or a chronic stress. Therefore, the physical and mental health of a caregiver may change as they go through that cycle of caregiving. Unfortunately, caregivers often underreport health problems because of denial or time or a lack of awareness of the effects that caregiving has on their own health. These effects sometimes may often lead to unhealthy behaviors in the caregivers. Sometimes caregivers find themselves developing behaviors such as um, smoking, overeating, not exercising, and other activities which would in turn increase their risk to other types of chronic diseases or conditions. So this is another reason why caring for oneself is so important when being a caregiver. In the last few moments, I'm going to briefly touch on coping strategies and tips that you as a caregiver may use to promote your own self-care. And these are tips and suggestions that caregivers have shared with me and say have worked. 
One of the most important tips is to decrease your own personal stress. Let go of the small things and enjoy the present. Savor the moment. Don't feel guilty about your own feelings. Many times we get frustrated um, or we feel, you know, we think, oh, gosh, I wish I didn't have to do this um, tube feeding or I wish I didn't have to watch the medications all the time. And sometimes associated with that right away comes some guilt feelings. Well, it's okay. Um, you know, it, it's very, very um, hard to keep track of medications and, and all the other things. It's become even more burdensome for caregivers because patients aren't staying in the hospitals the way they used to. They're going home with all kinds of complex and highly technical um, equipment and, and care that the caregiver is supposed to give. So let yourself feel what you need to feel. Set reasonable goals for yourself and your family. Ask yourself what's realistic and what is not stressful. How can I keep things simple? Instead of making your 10-course dinner that you used to make, maybe you can order pizza for the night. So, you know, you may need to do some trade-offs on things just at least for a while as you go through different cycles. Communicate with others. Ask for help from relatives, friends, and accept the help when offered. You know, some caregivers have told me that even if someone comes over and offers to go get groceries for them sometimes, you know, that that is a real treat. And they, you know, so simple things like that. Take time for yourselves. If you haven't been exercised, well, you know, exercising, you can begin an exercise program or continue with that. Take up a bubble bath, watch a favorite movie, play with your pet, journal, meditate, paint, draw, do whatever it is that helps you find relief from stress, and do not feel guilty about it. Allow yourself, as Dominique said, to receive. I think that's such an important message, and do not feel guilty about it. The last tip, and one that I think is very pertinent to our discussion about self-care, is to make an appointment with your own physician, your own dentist, or any other medical professional that you've been postponing a visit with. In summary, if you are a caregiver, remember to use a preventive approach to maintain your own personal well-being. Do not be afraid or feel guilty about getting some of your own needs met. Remember, everyone reaps the benefits of a healthy and a happy caregiver. And for those of you who are patients maybe on this call, remember caregivers can also experience their own health problems as they care for you and the family or their friends. Encourage them to take care of themselves. This concludes my remarks. I want to thank you very much, uh, Dr. Pavos, for just a superb presentation and just for actually um, just for really very informative and lots of information. Um, now, we've had both wonderful speakers, both uh, Dominic Bonanno and Dr. Palos, just doing excellent, really superb presentations. I guess in concluding, I just want to say that, um, first of all, I want to thank our speakers very much. I want to thank um, those of you who asked us really incredible questions or made such wonderful comments, really added to our call uh, today tremendously. Um, I also want to remind you, as Dominic had said, that Cancer Care does offer professionally uh, offered uh, counseling services, and those are free, and they're actually available um, on the telephone or online, and uh, we're simply a telephone call away. Um, you know our 800 number. It's 1-800-813-HOPE. And I would encourage you to utilize those services to call us um, and to uh, take advantage of either individual support or 
um, or group group support. Um, I think that um, caregivers in particular, um, these are very important services for you to have access to when you need them, sort of just in time as you need them to take advantage of those services. Um, and we also offer practical assistance and financial assistance as well. So we recognize that caregivers often have to handle all these logistical things, so please do utilize us for that as well. I want to thank you all for participating today, and I want to wish you all a very fine day, and thank you all. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the program. You may disconnect and have a wonderful day.